Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBury podcast where we break down some of the main news headlines in the financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of foreign exchange. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBury, and I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer Enrique Diaz-Alvarez and Market Analyst Roman Zaruk. So this podcast is all about the foreign exchange market. We aim to take a look at some of the main news stories in FX, discuss them, and give our view on what they might mean for currencies going forward. So we're back after a little break with episode six of FX Talk. It's been a very busy couple of weeks in the FX market with lots for us to discuss, starting with what we think has driven the recent sharp sell-off in the US dollar. We'll then talk about our thoughts following last night's FOMC meeting. And as always, end of our spotlight currency for the week, which this week is the Swedish krona. But before we get started, a summary of the past couple of weeks of action in the FX market. And as we'll talk about shortly, the main news story in the FX market has been the continued sell-off seen in the US dollar against just about every other major currency. The greenback has now shed over 4% of its value in trade-weighted terms since the beginning of July, in part due to concerns over rising US virus numbers and its potential negative impact on the US economy. The inability of Congress to agree on extension to the US government's additional unemployment insurance benefit scheme has also far from helped the currency. Both sterling and in particular the euro have benefited from the weaker dollar. Sterling is currently hovering around the 130 mark, while the euro is trading just shy of the 118 level, supported by the passing of the EU's 750 billion euro fiscal rescue package. Now, with that out of the way, on with the podcast. So we'll get going with our first main topic of the day, which will be centred around the recent sharp sell-off that we've seen in the US dollar. This has pretty much dominated the narrative in the FX market in the past few weeks. The dollar's lost ground against pretty much every other currency in the world in the past month, trading lower against every G10 currency since the beginning of July. Most notable, of course, has probably been this sharp, sharp move we've seen in the main euro-dollar pair, which, of course, we talked about in depth on the last podcast. Pair has continued to move higher since our last episode has now extended this rally to around 4.5% since the start of the month, trading at levels that we've not seen in almost two years. We've even seen currencies such as sterling, that of course have been weighed lower by Brexit uncertainty, hit multi-month highs versus the broadly weaker greenback. I think probably the most interesting thing about this move, and I'm sure you guys will want to elaborate on this in a minute, is that the sell-off in the dollar has not necessarily been fueled by general improvements we've seen in market sentiment. In the past sort of week, two weeks or so, but actually we're seeing more idiosyncratic dollar weakness with euro dollar, for instance, now moving in opposite directions with equity markets and bond yields. So I'll turn it over to you both now. What factors do you attribute to this move that we've seen lower in the US dollar? Uh, well, in my view, I mean, we've been we've been pounding the table for a while, uh, saying that uh, that there's a there's a clear gap in how the, the two main economic areas, the U.S. and the Eurozone, have been handling the coronavirus in terms of their ability to get it under control, one, and two, the, their ability to keep the, uh, the shutdowns from wreaking havoc with their economies and their, and their productive structures, especially particularly small and medium-sized enterprises. And the Eurozone seems to be doing a better job of both. I mean, the, the numbers in and the contagion numbers and the death numbers are inarguable. Uh, we have the U.S. Uh, where contagions are still going up uh, to, towards or near record highs, whereas in, in the Eurozone, um, the, the pandemic has been brought under control and, and we're in the process of reopening the economies in, in most places. Uh, 
but on the other hand, the destruction in the labor market, uh, then we had uh, the unemployment figures from uh, the Eurozone, where unemployment has gone down from around 7% to not quite 8%, whereas in the U.S. it has shut down from 3% to, to 15% due to the different approaches of the different, com- the different countries to temporary unemployment. In the, in the U.S., companies just lay off workers. In the Europe, there's schemes where companies can keep uh, employees in the payroll uh, for uh, shutdowns of relatively short duration. I think that's that that different a bit, that gap in the ability to manage the pandemic is 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 being recognized by currency markets, and that's the main fuel for the uh, sell-off in the U.S. dollar. Yeah, so I think that it has been true for the past this week and the past two weeks that the the biggest reasons for the dollar sell-off have been uh, largely uh, internal. So on one hand, we see this divergence in the coronavirus numbers. On the other hand, we see this approval uh, of the uh, $750 support package, although it was slightly changed. So it now includes €390 worth of grants and €360 worth of loans compared to the initial proposal of 500 and 250 respectively. Uh, But uh, the markets still seem to be quite happy that it was approved by the uh, European, uh, by the EU. Uh, And generally, uh, this fact that the Eurozone seems to, the Eurozone countries and generally Europe in general, uh, seems to be doing uh, much better in containing the virus uh, and in not imposing uh, lockdowns again, uh, contrary to the US, I think uh, brings uh, markets to, to believe that those countries may be better place uh, for recovery. Because on one hand, you have a, a significant uh, stimulus. Uh, on the other hand, you don't have this uh, increase in, in numbers, in the coronavirus numbers, so you don't really have uh, any an argument for going back into lockdown, at least uh, right now in the Eurozone. Uh, so generally in the past uh, few weeks, this has been uh, the main reasons. But if we look at the longer term, we also saw a, a broad improvements in, in the macroeconomic data uh, that have in that have improved the risk sentiment. So I would I would say that longer term, this has been a combination of an internal factors uh, on both sides of the Atlantic, uh, plus uh, this uh, risk sentiment shift that is favorable for the euro and not favorable for the dollar. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, if you look at the very short term, uh, this has been clearly an internal thing uh, and those uh, few divergences uh, that we have been uh, talking about for, for some time. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think we mentioned this a lot, quite a lot in the last um, few weeks in our, some of our reports. We begin to see a little bit of a shift in the market's view towards these US virus numbers. And we talked a lot, I think the last week's episode, a couple of weeks ago in the last episode, we talked a lot about this move higher in euro dollar. And a lot of it had to do with you know, general improvements in market optimism, sentiment, whether that be stronger data or positive vaccine news, for instance. I think that has been the case generally the last sort of couple of months or so, where sort of risk indices such as S and P 500 have tracked you know riskier currencies against the dollar, such as euro dollar, pretty well. Um, but actually, it's not really been the case in the last sort of ten days or so, which has um, been quite an interesting development we've seen, where euro dollar and U.S. stocks, so S and P, for instance, have not really moved in tandem. We've, we've had periods where the dollar. Um, it's actually moved in the same direction to equities. So US stocks have been lower and the dollar has fallen uh, at the same time, which I think suggests 
Um, as we were talking about, this, this drop in the dollar, not necessarily just driven by sentiment, but by a lot of uh, factors that have driven dollar weakness. So ones that you've mentioned, so the US virus numbers and concerns that that could potentially lead to uh, a more protracted contraction in the US relative to, say, Europe. Um, concerns surrounding um, US unemployment insurance benefit scheme and whether or not it'd be extended. And we've seen this in other markets as well. So if you look at fixed income, for instance, the US uh, government bond yields, the 10 years now below 0.6%. Generally, when we have a risk-off mode, obviously investors buy the bonds because they're low risk. Price goes up, yield goes down, which is what we're seeing at the moment. So we're seeing characteristics of risk-off trading, and yet the dollar... Uh, is still trading lower, which I think just shows how bad the sentiment towards the dollar is at the moment. Now, I would say that in the short term, I mean, what we're seeing now with the, with the dollar, with the euro having trouble rallying through 118 to dollars, even in spite of yesterday's weakness in the FMC, is, is, is what positioning. That uh, the, the part of the market that, uh, that is called speculative, uh, people who do not hold positions for very long, are already very short the US dollar, uh, because they've been reflecting uh, what we over the last few weeks what, we, what we're talking about, and then when that happens, until that short overhang gets clear, and, and uh, it's it's quite possible that the euro will have temporary difficulties rallying much further. So I, I do think that perhaps we've seen the top of the move of a very short term, but uh, medium and long term, I still think that uh, that the, the most likely direction for the euro is is, is up. Um, We've seen the the last the uncertainty over the future of the euro has been substantially removed by the aggressive European Central Bank packages and the agreement on the on the recovery package. And um, the uh, I, I think part of what kept the euro relatively low over the last few years was that lingering uncertainty that is now gone. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's a pretty. Uh, sorry, Matthew. Uh, no, go on, after you, after you. I wanted to say that it's a pretty interesting situation where we see that the markets are a really long euro and, and short dollars because uh, since the beginning of the financial crisis and uh, generally for the most of the past decade, uh, we have seen the, the opposite situation most of the time. So investors have been favoring the dollar. And it's interesting to see whether uh, right now we will see a change in paradigm. So this situation will hold on for longer or whether this is just a, a short-term thing and it will be uh, resolved in a couple of months. What do you think, Enrique and Matthew? Do you think that this can hold or will we see some uh, significant change towards the dollar, uh, you know, possibly on the back of the institutional uh, weakness and maybe some similar things? Yeah, I mean, I think you talk about the positioning. Yeah, generally when we do see that uh, situation where those net longs is such an elevated level where they are now, I think it's the highest they've been since, or second highest they've been in around a decade or so, I think. Whenever we get to that, that sort of position, that does suggest a little bit of short-term retracement in the move may be on the card. So I think we may see a, this move retrace as investors take profit. But yeah, as of all the things that we've, we've been factoring in in the last uh, few minutes of conversation, I think, yeah, Euro-Dollar still has a bit of room to go higher. Okay, I think we'll move on now and continue to focus on the SFR second main topic. Um, and that second main topic is last night's FOMC meeting. So we'll talk about what we, what we saw last night and what we could expect potential moves for the central bank next. 
So as expected, the Fed moved, uh, voted unanimously to keep interest rates unchanged last night, uh, record low levels, as it attempts to guide the US economy out of the worst of the COVID-induced downturn. We expected a dovish tone from Jerome Powell and indeed the market had as well, which is I think why we saw a bit of weakness in the dollar leading up to the meeting. As we thought that they would do, Powell struck a cautious tone despite the recent improvements in US data, continuing to note that the US economy faced significant risks due to the virus and that the bank would continue to take action in order to protect the economy. Other than that, there wasn't too much new information announced. Powell largely stuck to the script and reiterated that rates will likely remain uh, at record low levels for the foreseeable future. So what do we make, firstly, of last night's announcement? Is there anything uh, particular of note that I've missed that you guys saw? And what do we think are the next steps for the Federal Reserve going forward? Uh, I think that the meeting gave very little information. Uh, It was was, uh, clearly the intention of the Federal Reserve to to reiterate what they said at the previous meeting, that uh, I think that the key sentence was they're not even thinking about thinking about raising rates. And the idea is that that the Federal Reserve, like most large central banks around the world, uh, feels like it has the luxury to to overreact on the dovish side. And when in doubt, uh, make sure that to protect uh, against downside risk of the economy uh, at the expense of running inflationary risks because, quite frankly, inflationary pressures are nowhere to be seen. And I have to say that I have been surprised that in spite of this, what should have been a fairly major supply chain crisis, we have seen, we have yet to see a significant broad price, price, uh, price pressures anywhere. So... Um, Rates, they, they clearly they, they intend to, to keep rates at zero probably at least to, through two, two, 2022. Um, and I also thought it was remarkable that the U.S. dollar and dollar weakness was barely even mentioned, clearly. I mean, it's not usually for the Federal Reserve's remit to comment on currency moves, but uh, uh, the fact that they're not even looking at the U.S. dollar tells me that the U.S. dollar probably has room to drop much, much further. And if anything, the Federal Reserve would regard that as, uh, as a positive. Yeah, I think that for the U.S. this is not uh, as much of a positive factor as for uh, other uh, other economies who are uh, export-oriented, in which this uh, you know, depreciation of the currency uh, can be actually welcomed uh, by the central bank. And Generally, I would say that last uh, last night's comments and the communication from the Fed was quite unimportant. This was mostly what we have seen uh, earlier. Uh, yesterday, uh, they announced that they are uh, going to um, uh, prolong the repo and swap lines. And the day before, they prolonged uh, some uh, of their uh, loan programs. Uh, but I generally I, I saw some comments in the markets that this says that they they are they are remaining cautious and that this is uh, that this is a sign of that. But I, I just think that this is a a formality and nothing else, and that they just remain in a wait and see mode. They don't think about uh, doing anything with rates without they they definitely don't think about raising rates 
any anytime soon, but I don't think that they are also uh, really strongly uh, thinking right now about introducing other measures, uh, such as the yield curve control. I don't think that this will be on the cards, even though th there has been a lot of talk uh, in the markets about that. Uh, but uh, I just think that the importance of the central bank's actions, especially uh, if uh, we see a continuation of what we are seeing in the markets right now, uh, that, the, that the central banks will become uh, less important of, a, of a players right now. I think that especially in the US, the situation should definitely turn to the fiscal policy because what the, the market and generally what the economy is uh, needs is not a lower uh, cost of financing, but actually uh, more cash in the hands of people, especially those, especially con considering the situation in the labor market. And uh, we are hopeful that the, the Congress uh, will be able to, to achieve uh, uh, the consensus on that. But the proposal that they, that they have put uh, forward, that the Republicans have put forward, uh, is has not really been welcomed by the markets because this sees a significant reduction in the unemployment benefits uh, and we, we don't even know if they'll uh, agree on that or not. Yeah, yeah, I agree, agree with those points. I think, yeah, there's not a huge amount more actually that the Fed can really do now. It is over to the, the US government and the authorities there to, to try and increase fiscal spending on that front. I think, yeah, recent communications from the Fed have made it very clear that there won't be any change in rates for some time yet. I think, yeah, on the one hand, very little appetite for negative rates, there seems. And, of course, absolutely no appetite within the committee to hike rates any time soon. I think if you look at the, the June dot plot, I think there's only two members uh, of, the, of the committee saw the need for higher rates before the end of 2022. And you say, yeah, not much has actually really changed since then. If anything, the situation would have worsened given the, the increase in the US virus numbers that we've seen of late. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think these do, yeah, it does remain very dependent on the virus numbers. We'll, we'll see in the next few weeks. But yeah, long term, I, I think, yeah, rates would likely remain unchanged, as you said, Enrique, probably for the next couple of years, maybe three years into the future. Beyond that, it's very difficult to see um, when, when we'll see a change in rates because it is very much dependent on, on the recovery from the virus. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you, Ram. I don't think we'll see yield curve control or on all sorts of measures such as that implemented. But at the same time, we don't really know. It's very much virus dependent. And I wouldn't be surprised um, if they, they do implement a scheme such as that should, should the virus numbers continue to remain high, should these lockdown remains, remain in place for a long period of time. Yeah, but right now I think that there is a much more risk that the situation in, uh, in downside risk for the virus in, in Europe than in the United States. I mean, the situation in the US is, is really probably as bad as it can be or close to that. Well, we hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. But generally in, in Europe, we have seen uh, stable coronavirus numbers, relatively stable. So I think that there is more risk that something can, can go wrong there than in the United States. I think we'll end now with our spotlight currency for the week, um, which is the Swedish krona. Um, now, probably, actually, in my opinion, it's one of the most interesting currency, currencies in the world that we've had since the beginning of the pandemic. Of course, Sweden, one of the few countries to not impose a national lockdown during the, the height of the virus spread, instead choosing to isolate those at most at risk and while allowing the lower risk to pretty much go about their business, more or less. And I think we've had two consequences of this, really. The, the first is 
that Sweden has experienced slightly more cases and deaths due to the virus per capita than obviously it would have otherwise would have done, worse rates of infection than some of its neighbouring countries, such as Norway, Denmark, for instance. And the consequence of this is a bit of an outperformance in the Swedish economy, um, as you would expect from slightly fewer containment measures. So you look at activity data such as you know retail sales have hardly moved, have been pretty pretty stable in Sweden in the past few months compared to double-digit contractions in Europe and the US. And then more hard indicators such as industrial production have fallen, but not quite as extent as, as elsewhere, as of the PMIs. Um, so I think, yeah, this outperformance uh, in the Swedish economy is largely what the markets have been focused on, at least in the past few weeks or so. And the Swedish Krona has actually been the best performer in the G10 uh, year to date, rallying by over 7% against the US dollar. So what do you guys make of this move? Do we see these less strict lockdown measures as playing a part in the Krona's uh, recent performance? I, I am not quite sure of that. Uh, the reason for that is that the, 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 the Swedish corner has always been considered like a bellwether for risk appetite. And the reason for that is that the Swedish economy is one of the most exposed to international trade and it's, it's the, one of the most leveraged to the international trade cycle. So whenever things go badly with the, economy, with the world economy, the Swedish corner sells up pretty dramatically and when things get better, uh, it rallies equally dramatically. And I think that's, that's what we've seen uh, this, this time around as well. If you look at the graph of the S&P 500 index, the equity index in the U.S., which is probably the, uh, the main risk indicator, uh, the most important risk indicator worldwide, and the corona versus the euro, the corona versus the euro, uh, they've been moving pretty much in lockstep as, as they have in the past. <laughs> so I'm not sure the market is really passing any judgment on this specific uh, handling of the pandemic by Sweden, so much as passing judgment on what they expect the Swedish economy to, to perform, uh, as a, being as it is a, a leverage play on the world economy. Yeah, well, I actually think that the reasons for the uh, good performance in the Swedish Krona are both external and internal. So if we look at the, in, in, in general, the, the Swedish Krona, as you said, is a high beta currency. So it reacts alongside the market sentiment. And over the past few months, we have seen the sentiment improve, the stock market rallying. So uh, this has certainly provided a, a lot of support to the Swedish Krona. Uh, generally, if we look at the very short term, I think that uh, also this uh, European agreement of this uh, super fiscal package has been also uh, helpful and the dollar weakness as well. But there are also certain things uh, within uh, the, the uh, within Sweden that are also, I think, helpful. And w- one of those uh, is are the coronavirus numbers. So uh, recently, Sweden has experienced a significant decline in new cases, and also uh, it has a, a very limited number of deaths. And uh, this has actually new cases has uh, have come down from around 900 at the beginning of the month to around 150 right now and there has been uh, there hasn't been a, a very big shift in in testing there has been a slight decrease but not uh, it, but this would not uh, explain all of this especially if we also uh, factor in the the death numbers so I, I definitely think that this is a positive and this might actually mean that the swedish strategy uh, could potentially work on the other hand uh, generally I 
I think that because of the strategy, the Sweden is a country which is better prepared for a second wave than most uh, European countries, probably, maybe even even the whole Europe. So, so this potentially, this also alleviates the risks from the economy. So right now we saw a re- relatively good uh, retail sales numbers. It's in positive territory. It's actually, you know, in relatively close, well, it's, it's uh, close to the numbers where we have been before the pandemic or, or even at the same levels. Uh, and generally, uh, the hit to the Swedish economy, despite it being very open, uh, has, has, will likely be relatively contained, contrary to some other European and world economies. So I, I think that those internal uh, factors also play a role and also monetary policy, because uh, in the past few years uh, before the coronavirus pandemic, uh, we saw negative rates in Sweden. Uh, but actually, right now, they are at 0%. And I don't think that there is an appetite among the committee to, to lower those rates uh, in the negative territory. And m- although uh, they are quite close to the rates uh, of other G10 currencies, this fact that, that they uh, have not come down to the negative territory and that they are higher than they were in the in the past uh, few years uh, this is a, another positive for the chrono okay I think that probably this is a good time a good place to stop but uh, let's let's uh, let's make a simple call Swedish corner uh, sell buy or hold I would say sell uh, buy but uh, mostly as a result of being bullish on risk assets worldwide we have uh, central banks absolutely focused on, on providing stimulus to the markets that uh, there were you know, no inflationary pressures. This is good for risk assets in general, This and, and that will be good for the crowd. That's my view. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think risk assets in general still have a bit of, bit of room to run, and the Swedish krona being one of those higher-risk currencies, I think there is a, uh, yeah, a bit of scope for more gains in the krona, and the fact that... Um, we think the Swedish, corona, Swedish economy, I should say, should be back up and running. In fact, it is back up and running quicker than we've seen elsewhere. I, I, I think that certainly can't hinder the corona in the next few weeks, few months. Yeah, I also agree uh, that uh, that it's a buy for me, uh, especially considering the, the fact that it's a high beta currency and we are optimistic on the risk sentiment. But also, I think that there is a number of internal factors that should support corona as, as well. And that just about does it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the currency markets, visit Ebris website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear more on during upcoming podcasts. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a week's time. Thank you all very much for listening.